Before we begin, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you have poured out your healing onto this earth because of what your son Jesus did on the cross and because of your Holy Spirit residing within each one of us. It's flowing. Jesus said, I'll give you living water that will just flow through you and you'll never thirst again. Thank you, Lord, that we have that living water inside us. Lord, if for some reason that we don't understand that well has been capped, that the spirit within us, we've capped it. We've put a plug on it. Lord, it's still flowing, but we've dammed it up. We don't even know, Lord. We don't understand. We're so steeped in religion that we don't know truth from the lie. So, Lord God, I pray that you break through the bondages that are in our spirit, and our mind, not in our spirit, but in our mind, that is keeping things from our spirit. Lord, break through those bondages. I pray in the name of Jesus that those walls are going to come down tonight. Those walls of fear. Those walls of anxiety. Those walls of anxiousness. Those walls of insecurity. Oh, Lord, in you, we have the supernatural life. So being in your supernatural life, and in the reign of your Holy Spirit just falling down upon us, those walls, if we just take them and hand them to you, will just wash away down the gutter, gone by your Spirit. So do that work within each one of us tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're, we have a healing meeting tonight. Once a month, the first, first Wednesday of every month, we call our believers meeting, we call our Wednesday night service a healing meeting. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that there's people in, our, in the seats that are ready for healing not coming wondering if you can be healed. I was doing some research online, and I'm I, interested in hearing what people are saying, so you can you know, easily to search these days. And so I searched on healing scriptures and different things, and, and I came upon this one that was a pretty prominent site, and you could tell that she's done a lot of blogging and a lot of writing. And this is what she said. She was proud of all her healing scriptures, but she introduced it as this. I'm not, we're not sure why, but it's obvious God allows us to be sick. And I'm not sure, we're not sure why, but we do know that sometimes it's his will that we be healed. And I know in our church we like, oh, that's terrible. But you know what? That's where too many of us are at. We might not admit it. <laughs> On the outside, we're in a spirit-filled church, you know, we believe in healing. But on the inside, there's something that's causing us to doubt. We can say it. We can believe it. We can read the Word. The Word doesn't say anything contrary to what we believe. All we have for the enemy to work on is experience of it not happening. When I talked to my brother, my brother lost his daughter at age seven. When I talked to my brother about this, he took great offense and 
And he was somehow comforted in thinking that God took his daughter. And it really got me thinking about religion and, and, and what's happened to us. We're, we're steeped in religion and we don't even know it. We're, we're stuck in some places that are keeping us from moving forward and we don't even know that we're in a place. We know that we're on a journey. We all have that deep within us. We know that we're on a journey with Christ. We just are not sure where we are in the journey. We don't know how far we've gone along with him. We basically don't even know how strong our faith is, even though we hear teaching that says, no, faith is strong as a, big as a mustard seed can move the mountain. So in our brain, we know it's not about faith. Faith is the gift from God, and, and we step into that faith, and it's, it's either we have it or we don't. It's not a portion. And, of course, we're learning about unbelief on Sundays. If, you don't come, if you're not here on Sundays, pastor's teaching on unbelief and how that's one of the blockers. But I was asking the Lord, well, what else? Why do some not receive, and why do some receive and then they lose? And I, I, was, I was left to... Uh, I'm, I'm teaching Old Testament overview in the school of ministry, and, and we had a section last night that it, I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so I thought, well, Lord... I think I'm going to be starting there, and then I'll see where you take me. But first, we're going to look at in Luke, at Luke 11. If you, can, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 11, and we're going to read 11 through 13. Let's do all as much shuffling as we can so we know we have Bibles in the house. By the way, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Neil. I'm the associate pastor here. Pastor Mark is... Is, has a little trip with his wife, and and uh, we are trusting that he's being refreshed in the Lord. He works hard around here. He does so much teaching, and uh, you, you know how it is in the physical. We get spent, and so keep him up in prayer. He'll be back, I think, on Friday, so he'll be here for the weekend services. So Luke 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, I mean, and... and Obviously, the Holy Spirit would be the best gift of, gift of all. We, we know, we know in, our, in our theological understanding that when we received Christ, we received his Spirit. In fact, the scripture says, when we become born again, God imparted the, the Spirit of God, Jesus, the Spirit of God, who is the Holy Spirit, imparted this, his Spirit into our spirit and raised it from the dead. We're a three-part being, being, spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit was dead because of Adam's sin. So our flesh, alive and well, our soul, my personality, my will, my thinking, alive and well, and as a Christian, it's constantly being renewed. My spirit, when we become born again, it 
raised from the dead, it said, joined with the Spirit of God. That's why we can say, Christ lives within me. Because the Spirit of God is actually connected to our spirit and breathed our spirit alive and stayed with us. So our spirit is, is not only who we are, but it's that part that we can now say, we are joint heirs with Christ. Christ within me. I have the mind of Christ. All things are possible for those who are in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We know in our brains that that happened. But there's a truth that we're, I think we're missing. And I'm going to, I'm going to go to a little bit to the Abraham story. And we're going to talk about the name change that happened with Abraham and Sarah. I don't know, you might not be as excited as me, but you know, when I went over that last night and I, I said, oh, there, there's a truth here. And it takes, it really has to be studied out, and I'm not saying that, that you're going to get it all tonight, but I want to plant the seed that there's something very powerful that happened to Abraham and Sarah. And we don't have time to go through the whole story, but uh, God changed his name. But first we have to remember in the, in the Old Testament, throughout, really even through the Bible, a name meant something. Basically, uh, when he received that name change, it was like he received a spiritual upgrade. Basically, his destiny was now something different. God was speaking about his destiny. In Genesis, God was talking to Abraham and Sarah a lot about their destiny, but they were just wandering and doubting and sinning and lying, and they, and they didn't really get it, and they weren't going anywhere. But for years, God was telling them about their destiny. But shortly before Abraham, I mean, Abraham and Sarah conceived a son, Isaac, shortly before, had a name change, had the upgrade, getting them ready to step in to that promise, that destiny that changed the world. So let's first turn to, well, you don't have to turn here, just look on the screen, Genesis 12.3. Is it echoing or is it just me? Just probably I'm getting some feedback. Okay, I didn't hear any nods. I mean, I didn't see any nods, so that's, I guess I'm okay. I'm new at this. You know, I don't get up here that often. I... All right, Genesis 12:3. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Or basically it says, and in your body, your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. So he had this big, giant promise to step into. And he didn't, know, he didn't know how to do it. He was floundering. Like I said, he was lying to kings and pharaohs because they were worried that, they, that, that he'd kill them to get to his beautiful wife. He was, you know, had sin. He and Sarah said, okay, well, God said it'll come from your flesh. Didn't say anything about me, so let's go through my slave woman. And, you know, they just, they just were, they were really confused. But something happened in their name change. I want to show you... First, the name of God, Yahweh. So in, in Hebrew, we read from the right to the left. And so those four letters that represent the word Yahweh are the first one on, all the way to the right. We read right to left. Yod, and then He, Va, He. He, every symbol has a meaning. A meaning. Basically, it's a pictograph. This is the Hebrew original. The Hebrew is, is a pictograph like, you know, like Chinese and stuff like that. So every symbol actually means something. The two He's, the one in the middle and one on the end, 
represent the spirit. Represent spirit. So in his name is spirit twice. Not only did he say it once, but he said it twice. So basically the first spirit represents who, and the second spirit represents what or how. So basically, you know, I am spirit and I work by spirit. So that hey is a very important symbol in Hebrew. And when they, when they changed their name, Abram, basically you took the, the symbol in the middle of Yahweh, the first hey, which is in the middle of the name, and he put that hey into Abraham. Abram, Abraham, put the hey right in the middle of his name. And his name changed. So the Spirit of God was put in him. He was a new person now. He wasn't the same. It wasn't just figuratively. It wasn't, oh, because I've made you the children of nations, I'm going to change your name. No, new destiny, new person. When the Spirit of God went in him, it was something he didn't do. He was like this. And God went, hey. And he became Abraham. Spirit of God was in him. Then the last hey, the end of his name, he put a hey at the end of Sarah's name. Instead of Sarai, it became Sarah. Ah, Sarah. So in her, literally, the, her Hebrew writing of the name, the end went away and a hey went in. And the, and the Hebrew writing of Abraham's name got split up and a hey went right in the middle. So all of a sudden, the Spirit of God was put in them. Just like when we become born again, it says the Spirit of God is put in us and resurrects our spirit. Sarah and Abraham, at that moment, everything changed. In fact, shortly after that happened, they went to the second king. Now, everything changed, but he went and lied again. Abraham lied again, but he had the Spirit of God. It was there. He didn't have to lie, but the flesh was still present. He lied to King Abimelech. And guess what? King Abimelech had a harem. He looked at Sarah at 90 years old and said, Find out who that is. I want her. Women, hey, can do some things on the outside too. That 90-year-old looked good. And he had his pick of all the women of the kingdom, and he saw something. And Sarah, like, wow, she was gorgeous on the outside because of that spirit that had been put in her. And then shortly after that, God visited Sarah, and, and God, it was not a virgin birth, but the, actually the Bible said that God came, came upon Sarah and she conceived. So, you know, Abraham probably already did his work, and, and God blessed it. And, and Sarah conceived Isaac. So I, I was thinking about this, and I realized that it could be like Abraham received the Spirit, yet he went to King Abimelech, and he lied. He still had the flesh. I'm thinking, is there, is there something in here that's happening to us? We know we've received the Spirit why aren't why isn't everything happening? I've been coming forward for healing for a year, nothing. I've been out of work for a year. Where's God? I don't know where to go. I'm not even sure if I'm in his will. I don't even know if I can trust him. Well, guess what? 
Abraham was there. He wasn't sure that he could trust him. He let fear and insecurity continue to dominate. But that changed. It changed. And he changed the course of history by doing the, the old Peter getting out of the boat. If, if this is the promise, right? Abraham, uh, Peter getting out of the boat represents a promise. Peter looks over at Jesus. If that is you, bid me to come to you. Jesus gave the promise. Come. There's the promise. He stepped out of the boat into the promise. Did the impossible. Supernatural. Abraham could not figure out the promise. He just heard it and he floundered. He didn't understand. He received the Spirit. And he still kind of stumbled. But somewhere along the line, the story is complete. It all happened. It all worked out. All of his... Heirs were the patriarchs. In his seed, all the way through, came Jesus. So where, where are we in this picture? I think that has something to do with us not receiving healing. There's something here. The healing rain is just flowing out from heaven there's so much scripture. We could just go over scripture and just in case, bless Elizabeth's heart, she has all 30 scriptures ready for me to go to if I want to. But I, I want you to get a little bit of a glimpse to this in, with Paul. We're going to read through Galatians just a little bit. I don't know how far we'll get Elizabeth, but uh, watch on the screen. I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to follow along because this is in the message. Because this is so important, I thought, you know, let's go to a little more common language and let's get the heart of what Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians. There's some truths in here. So I'm just going to dive right in and we'll see where the Lord leads. So Galatians 2, starting in verse 15. I'm going to read fast. Just, just let it soak in. Just soak it. We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah, so that we might be set right before God by trusting the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Starting verse 17, have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No, no great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me, who go through Christ in order to get things right with God, aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? Well, the accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. The 19. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. 
The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be to abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. And we're going to skip forward to Galatians 3, starting in 5. Answer this question, does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you could never do for yourself, does he do these things because you're strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them to, in you? Or, or because that you trust him to, to do them in you? Don't these things happen among you just as they happened with Abraham? He believed God, and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. Verse 7. Is it not obvious to you that persons who put their trust in Christ, not persons who put their trust in Allah, are like Abraham, children of faith? It was all laid out beforehand in Scripture that God would set things right with non-Jews by faith. Scripture anticipated this in the promise to Abraham, all nations will be blessed in you. Then verse 9, so that so those now who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham who lived by faith. This is no new doctrine. And that means that anyone who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God, is doomed to failure. Scripture backs this up. Utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Habakkuk had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God, and that's the real life. Rule-keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule-keeping. A fact observed in Scripture, the one who does these things, rule-keeping, continues to live by them. And 13, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse, and at that same time, dissolved the curse. And now, because of that, the air is cleared, and we can see that Abraham's blessing, this is important, Abraham's blessing and promise is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit, in and with us by believing, just the way Abraham received it. 
And we're going to skip ahead to Galatians 3, verse 25. But now you have arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in adult faith wardrobe. Christ's life. The fulfillment of God's original promise. In Christ's family, there could be no division into Jew or non-Jew, slave or free, male or female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendants, heirs according to the covenant promise. Now, this last part is deep. And I really want you to to receive this. It's talking about the two children of Abraham. And we're going to talk a little bit about this after I'm done. But Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Did you get all that, Elizabeth? You got those last? Okay, so just listen to this last. I, I threw a lot of this at Elizabeth really late. So just listen to this. Tell me now, you who have become so enamored with the law... Have you paid close attention to that law? Abraham, remember, had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. The son of the slave woman was born by human... um, (laughs) I I said it when I practiced it. It's from the word conniving. Connivance, thank you. From human connivance. The son of the free woman was born by God's promise. This illustrates the very thing we are dealing with now. The two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is from Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds with what is now going on in Jerusalem, a slave life producing slaves as offspring. This is the way of Hagar. In contrast to that, there is an invisible Jerusalem, a free Jerusalem, or New King James says a Jerusalem above, and she is our mother. That, this is the way of Sarah. Remember what Abraham, Isaiah wrote, Rejoice, barren woman who bears no children. Shout and cry out, woman who, have no, who has no birth pangs, because the children of the barren woman now surpass the children of the chosen woman. Isn't it clear, friends, that you, like Isaac, are children of promise? In the days of Hagar and Sarah, the child who came from faithless connivance, Ishmael, harassed the child who came, empowered by the Spirit, from the faithful promise, Isaac. Isn't it clear that the harassment you are now experiencing from Jerusalem heretics follows that old pattern? There is a scripture that tells us what to do. Expel the slave mother with her son, for the slave son will not inherit with the free son. Isn't that conclusive? We are not children of the slave woman, woman, but of the free woman. Thank you, Lord. Abraham and Sarah received the Spirit, breathed in him, them, and then they were able to move into their promise. And it changed the world. We, being children of God, 
Gentiles that were brought into the family, grafted in, we receive the same Spirit of God put in us, not by any works of our own, just for asking. We receive that Spirit, and now we are empowered to step into the promise, to step into destiny, to step into the blessings, the same blessings that Abraham was spoken of It says, we inherited those blessings. If Abraham stood back and continued his lifestyle that made him lie to King Abimelech, you could almost say he didn't know what he had. Would that be safe to say? Because the Spirit had already been implanted into him. And what if it made no difference and he just continued to work it out in the flesh, figure out what to do, Oh, it's not going right, so I'm going to figure out what to do. Well, he would have missed out on that promise in his destiny. The danger in, in me bringing this to you, and my, my daughter Stephanie is actually in the school ministry, and so I was telling her where I thought the Lord was going, and, and she had some really good insight, and she said, well, that could put burden on the people thinking that they have to figure out what they're supposed to do. <laughs> and I just said, it's just, it's rain. It's healing rain. It's the Spirit. So there, right, uh, there we're at, it's not a mystery because we know. I'm going to be real blunt and then we'll try to clean it up so you don't receive this as condemnation. Hagar and Ishmael are still in the house. We receive the Spirit that was promised to us, that came from God, but the spirit of the law remains. And we that comes from our heritage. We have that within deep within our DNA because of religion. Remember, religion really, really was steeped into humankind for a, for thousand years, for fifteen hundred years, for almost two thousand years. We're just, we're trying to come out of that religion that just keeps us in bondage like a slave. So it makes sense that if we are being released from this bondage that kept us in bondage like a slave, trying to do good, trying to have rule keeping, if we were in bondage to that and we've been set free, just like in Exodus, the children were set free from Egypt, but they brought Egypt with them. They brought Egypt with them. They longed to go back at times. And even when they didn't long to go back, they went back to Egypt right within their own camp. You know, made a golden calf and, and doubted God. Doubted his promise of the promised land that he gave to Abraham. And here they were, 440 years later, 430 years later, just literally this far away. Just go into the, step into the River Jordan, walk across a parted River Jordan, and off they would go to enter that promised land. Is that happening to us? Do we have everything we need to take that step into the River Jordan? Of course we do. What's holding us back? I don't have the answer, because it's, it's all given. We already have the answer. Every single one of you, there'll be some preachers that would say, find your Isaac, sacrifice it at the altar. 
No, 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 that's not it. It's already done. Sacrifice has already been made. Jesus said, Abraham saw this day and rejoiced. God wanted to show Abraham what he was going to do. Yes, he was testing Abraham, but right then and there, because that happened on the same mountain. Mount Moriah is in the vicinity of Jerusalem, and it's a high place. Most scholars believe that Golgotha is Mount Moriah. And so I can just imagine God saying, no, 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 you're not doing, you're not, I'm, I spare Isaac, but for you and your descendants, I will not spare my son who I love. Look, Abraham, and I think he saw the vision and he saw Jesus' day and he knew what his heir was going to do and wow, did he rejoice because he knew it had been, it'd been totally taken care of. So I'm, I'm up here actually with zero notes for this point right here. The Spirit of God wants to speak to us. We have to be honest with ourselves. What's going on? I'm not sure. I, I, look, I ask myself that question when there's this certain point in my life. And I've taken some steps out of the boat and God's come through with every one. Yet... I want to go all the way. He has, he has a destiny for each one of us that he is waiting for us just to know that he's with us. Go. Some of you feel like, well, if I could only get healed, I'd do that. Or if I can only... Okay. If that's, if that's where you're at, let's start tonight. Let's get healed. There's other of you, that, well, I don't need healing, but I'm busy or... I want to I challenge you with what I said in the prayer, because I think that came straight from God. What the religion from our past and our preconceived ideas on how we're supposed to live, it doesn't do anything but bring fear and insecurity. And all insecurity is, is hiding your fear. <laughs> When you have insecurity, you're fearful. So if we, have a, if we have fearfulness and insecurity about what God wants to do in and through us and what this means to step out of the boat, am I going to sink to the bottom or am I going to walk? Or, or well, I don't know. For each one of us, I think our fear and insecurity is, is something different. But I believe the Lord wanted me to talk about this to prepare your hearts for healing Because it is something that's already planted in you. The Spirit of God gives you the faith to believe. And you step out. And it rains on you. You don't have to do anything. Sometimes we can get so worked up. Believer, believer, no unbelief, no unbelief. No, just... If you're a sinner that was saved by grace, and he's your redeemer, you qualify. Otherwise, why is redemption different? We don't have those kind of problems with redemption. Oh, it just pours upon us, we receive it as a free gift. But for some reason, healing, the enemy robs us of healing once, and that becomes Bible. <laughs> Wait a minute here. How can, how can being robbed of a healing for even years and years and years, how can that turn into Bible? No, that's not the promise. That's the enemy's lie, and that's what religion wants to do. Religion wants to say, you get nothing. 
Religion says you get nothing until you do it all. That's the lie that is still in us that we have to walk away from. It's not like it's part of us. It's just like on us, like clothes. You know, Jesus said just get rid of that garment and put on a new garment. It's that simple. you just like, I'm not going there anymore. It's not by my self-worth works. It's not by my efforts of right doing that I get any of these promises that are in the Bible that just blow my mind. I don't get it. No, it's not by right living. I'm going to just throw off that garment and I'm just going to step into the rain of his goodness. It just wants to rain down on you. It's there. Don't let the enemy rob it like that parable that Jesus is trying to give it. The, the parable of the seed, that seed is the word of God. That's the word. That's the same seed description talking about that went into Abraham. That went all the way down his generation and produced Christ. The hope of glory that just changed everything. That word is implanted in each one of our hearts. This truth that comes from the scripture is implanted in each one of our hearts. Just let it go on that good soil. Forget about all the lies of the enemy. It says the enemy comes and tries to steal it. Well, you know what? Seed is beautiful because a seed produces results over the long term. We allow it to go down deep. And it says it'll produce a big tree. And all the birds from the earth will come and land on that tree and feed from it and provide shade. That one seed that we're in that parable. Well, that's big. So that means... It's nothing that we do. It's this seed that we allow to get deep into our heart that it just comes from Him. <sighs> hey. 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 His Spirit has been implanted into you. Jesus said, you must worship me in spirit and in truth. And I wasn't going to do this because I did it last Wednesday that I led, but I'm just feel prompted to do it. A beautiful, beautiful part of worshiping our Lord is worshiping Him in spirit. It's said in Ephesians to sing psalms and spiritual songs one to another. And it's like a heavenly spiritual voice going up. Some of you might have not ever done that before. And that's okay. You just sit and listen. What we're going to do now to enter into that place to prepare our hearts to receive healing Let's, let's worship the Lord. What it, what it says that when, when uh, the Spirit was given to those after they became saved, baptized in water, then they, became, they got baptized in the Spirit, it said that they could all hear them glorifying God in another tongue. So the importance of, of when we praise in tongues is your mind says, all your mind has to say is, I'm glorifying God. And like in Romans 8 it says, then the Spirit intercedes for us like groanings too deep for words. And I promise you, if you have that heart of wanting to glorify God, and then just open up your mouth, and it might sound like babble, and your brain's going to say you're faking it. There's no faking it. We're speaking forth. It doesn't matter what comes out. The Spirit's going to take over. But if, if this is too weird for you, then don't do it. And just enjoy the heavenly sound as we now enter in. Let's just enter in for about five minutes or so. And I'm going to lead. I'm not, I'm not used to doing this, but I'm going to step, it out, step out there because I want you to get your healing. This is getting in the way. I don't know your past. I don't know why our 
our misconceptions of who he is gets in the way sometimes. But the promises are yes and amen and, and true. No, God doesn't want to heal some and not heal others. That's not true. No, God doesn't make you sick and allow you to be sick for your own good like, as some kind of discipline or it's for your own good. Just take it. No, that's not true. What's true is God wants us healthy. You won't even need healing when you're walking in the Spirit. You're walking in that destiny because that's called divine health. You'll never need healing again. That's life in God. Jesus did on the cross. And because of your Holy Spirit residing within each one of us,